You've just found your survival guide for the new reality of business. From technical advances to motivation and leadership, workplace changes are happening all around us. How can CEOs, leaders, and managers accelerate talent development, reshape culture, and succeed with purpose? By seeing what's coming and making the personal and organizational choices to do better. Welcome to the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. Hi, it's Linda Sharkey and welcome again to another episode of Future Proof Workplace. We're so excited to have you on the, on uh, on our show. And Morag, how has your week been? Well, it's been fantastic. I was actually in Toronto last week uh, talking about future-proofing your organization with a group of IT experts. And I don't know if you've seen the video doing the rounds in but uh, the new Atlas robot from Boston Dynamics. Um, I remember watching it a few months ago and feeling sorry for the robot as it was unable to put boxes on shelves and fell over. But this new video, if you haven't seen it, go looking for it on YouTube. But the robot does a backflip. It is amazing. Who knew the first job that needs to be future-proofed because of robotics was gymnasts, gymnasts, eh, Linda? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Morag, I love that. I thought it was just a really clever uh, way to to start your presentation. And, uh, you know, I'm also thinking about, I've I've just been hanging out with some people from MIT and some other uh, thought leaders in the artificial intelligence space. And it's just amazing how they're beginning to develop robots that have empathy, can uh, see your mood, can... uh, get a context of how you're feeling. I don't know. It's quite interesting. And and uh, we'll see where this all ends up. Yeah, yes. I mean, it's interesting, definitely. These, to me, are the predictable surprise, the big bang changes that are heading our way. There is no stopping it. But for you and I, the work we're doing with our clients are more about that. I was using the analogy of the frog in the pan of boiling water. Right. Um, the changes that are happening right under our noses that we are either oblivious to or conditioned not to see. And I think those are the more pressing needs that we need to be paying attention to in terms of future Proofing our careers and organizations. And yeah, the robotics and everything else is coming, but let's deal with some of these more subtle but yet um, high impact changes that well, need our care and attention. You're so right. As you know, I was just with uh, Tom Peters in London uh, relatively recently. And one of the things that he's emphasizing, which is what our book is all about, mm-hmm. is that it is really more the case of it's all about the people. And yes. we get that. And those subtleties of all about the people, we're really not going to have the successful organizations that we're, that that are going to thrive, let alone survive in the 21st century, which is why we have our guest today. Should I go jump ahead and introduce our these do? So we have Tim Coupler with us today. And the reason we invited Tim is because he is about some of these more subtle aspects of the workplace that are becoming more and more critical as uh, the people equation becomes more and more critical. And Tim uh, is currently the Director of Culture and Organization Development for Human Synergistics International. And this is an organization I've had a a very long-term relationship with. And they probably are, not probably, they are the premier organization, best research survey Uh, in the world on how to detect and uncover the real culture that's going on in in your business. 
Tim has 20 years of experience, both as a practitioner and a scholar in this area. Uh, he has a book, uh, Build the Culture of Advantage, Deliver Sustainable Performance uh, with Clarity and Speed. And uh, Tim, thank you so much for joining our show. Well, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. And you were just, you just, and I was fortunate to be there as well. You just had this great ultimate culture conference uh, in Chicago and uh, really talking about how culture really matters and makes a difference. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that conference and tell us a little bit about your career, how you got where you are. Sure. Yeah, I mean, my journey in this culture space is about uh, 20 years and counting because when I was first promoted to be a VP, um, I got attracted to this culture subject and it really was the key to success to really connect an organization to achieving results. And I went through a series of different positions and ended up focusing on this work full time. I was president of a another uh, culture-related organization called Denison Consulting. I started cultureuniversity.com, which is an educational blog on culture, and that led me to join Human Synergistics. And I guess the one thing that's really stood out in my career, and it ties back to the culture conference, is how much misinformation and oversimplified um, guidance there is out there about the subject of culture, which is totally inconsistent with my experience as a top leader and what with what many um, culture pioneers think about this subject. So we wanted to develop the premier culture conference where people could really go and understand what culture is all about and the deeper side of what it really takes to shift or evolve a culture. And we've had some great success. We, you attended our third one and I know you presented at our first one. Yeah, it was a, it was a great conference, but so why, why Tim did, did culture resonate so much with you from your work experience? Well, it was really my experience when I was not a top leader, you know, as I came up through the ranks at a pretty large organization, um, some of my ideas stuck. Uh, but a lot of them didn't. And it was really figuring out what's the difference between an organization where those ideas stick and people feel like they can really make their own personal contribution to success. And, you know, the organizations that are out there where your ideas just seem to go nowhere. So when I finally was in a position as a top leader to do something about it and lead things in a different way, um, I really wanted to learn how to connect people to this work. And I had to reach out to a lot of experts to, to learn how versus just kind of figuring it out on my own. Yeah, fascinating. Um, you know, so you had Edgar Shine. I was sort of, you know, Edgar is kind of like the father of organizational culture. He's been around forever, studied it forever, MIT professor, brilliant guy. Um, why did you create that that partnership originally with him? Edgar's, I think, close to 90 years old now. Yeah, he is 90 years old and he's uh, sharp as a tack. But uh, he is like the premier thought leader in this space. And he was actually the first person on cultureuniversity.com. So I was starting to build a relationship with him. And then also Rob Cook, the uh, CEO of Human Synergistics, the creator of that that culture assessment you referred to before. And uh, actually, Ed had said quite clearly that you can't measure culture. 
and that that's that's not possible. You know, he believes in the the qualitative approaches with groups and teams. But when I interacted with Ed and Rob separately, it sure seemed like they had a lot of similar opinions about this subject of culture and how to connect it to improving performance. So we were able to get those two together in a room and and talk about their views on this subject. And it found it turned out that they actually had very similar views about the subject of culture and what it takes to evolve it effectively. And since that time, um, Ed, I think, has really shifted his position on this subject of measuring culture and with the right guidance and support, um, he definitely understands the value of it. So it's kind of bringing together these two worlds of qualitative and quantitative, and there's really always been a division between them in this uh, culture field. Well, you know, frankly, Tim, yeah. I think you have to look at both. You have to look at the quantitative and the qualitative aspects, which is why I love the combination between, you know, Edgar, who is really uh, fabulous in giving people frameworks for looking at the qualitative aspects of work, along with the quantitative piece that Rob has. So, Morag, I know you've got some insights here, too. Well, I know we're going to be diving into the the circumplex and understanding the OCI, the organi- uh, organizational culture inventory, in a little bit more detail. But you started by saying that there's been an oversimplification of culture in many places, and it could be the proverbial can of worms. I mean, it is a fairly complex study. So, explain for me a little bit more about what you see as the oversimplification, and where does human synergistics fill, um, sit on that uh, continuum? How do you balance complex with simplicity so that it's usable every day? Sure, absolutely. So, I think there's like three camps out there in this culture mm-hmm. space. One is the culture alignment approach where, you know, define your values, align everything to them. And, and that I see is the most predominant approach that's out there. And that's the one I'm referring to with oversimplification that it's not all about hiring. It's not all about performance management systems. It's, it's not all about anything. It's about understanding the beliefs that are driving this behavior you see in your organization and how that's helping you achieve results and where it's holding you back. So it's it's that oversimplification where we see people go for the silver bullets or it's all about hiring or some other subject that we've got to combat. But on the other hand, you know, there's pretty deep approaches where it's all about mindset shifting and, and that's definitely involved in the work also. But what we really advocate and what Shine advocates is focusing on a problem or an outcome and then understanding how the underlying culture is really helping you achieve results and how it's holding you back. And and that's really more of a results-driven connection to culture that's missing out there in most most places. Yeah, I hear you. And it's it's that culture form falls under that big umbrella of the soft skills. I can't see it or touch it, but I know it when it's not going well. And I think that's been one of the challenges that Linda and I have found in our work with leaders is helping firstly to be able to name it, provide a language and framework that people can use to diagnose their their culture so that they can understand what's working and what's not, to your point then to say, is that helping or hindering you in achieving your business results. So 
Talk us through a little bit of that onboarding process. When you have a a new organization that's looking to work with you and understand their culture, where are those requests coming from? Are they coming through traditional routes like human resources or are you seeing more curiosity and requests coming from elsewhere in the C-suite? Well, there's definitely a lot that come through human resources, but we're seeing a lot more um, organizations that are I guess in one of two camps, they're, they're either leaders in this space and, and really want to go at this culture sp- subject in a more thoughtful approach, or they do have a serious problem or challenge. Maybe it's customer experience, growth, innovation, whatever it might be. And it's a COO or it's a division head that's you know become aware of our, our tools and approaches and wants to connect them in some way to their improvement efforts so there's still a lot from hr and od but we're seeing a lot more that are more i guess business driven requests mm-hmm. and how important is it from the get-go for you to to see that buy-in from the executive suite well i mean it's important that you have the buy-in from a leadership team that you'll be working with. I mean, I wasn't in the C-suite when I started this work, but we could make some things happen because I had some autonomy in the, the division I was leading. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, the key is to have buy-in from the team you're working with, whether it's a, a plant location, a retail outlet, or the whole organization, if that's what you're trying to shift or evolve. So you, you espouse the, you, you influence the local culture and that will infect the 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 macro culture within your organization, but start where you within your what's within your control, and we'll worry about the rest of it when we get there. Yeah, and, and by definition, you you have to see results, right? Results for the business or the organization. People have to see that some of these new behaviors are are actually working. So through getting results, people take notice. And that's what happened with me as a leader. I got I got promoted and I got more responsibility. So more <laughs> got involved in the effort. So as long as it works, right, it will expand. But if it's not working and you're trying the, the quick fixes, which increases the likelihood it won't work, right. then it could all die wherever it starts. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting that you say that because you get a lot of those debates, frankly, that if the top of the house is not on board, it's very difficult to change what's uh, what's going on. And I do think that there's, there's, there's truth in that, though you can influence it. But I think a lot of people, Tim, get confused between culture, climate, and employee satisfaction. And how do you parse those three aspects so people can really understand the difference and, and why the underlying culture is so important to performance? Sure. I mean, most of what we see out there that people are referring to as culture is actually about the work climate. It's these shared attitudes about, hey, is the mission clear? How are we at teamwork and collaboration? Um, You know, how are we with engagement and how supervisors and managers are, are treating their team members? But if there's a problem with the work climate, it could be due to many underlying cultural reasons, right? So with the, the culture, we're, we're really interested in things like values, beliefs, and, and we focus on behavioral norms. These yeah. kind of unwritten rules you've heard of yeah. that, that are really driving things in the workplace. So we can get a language around that teamwork or engagement issue and, and go at it in a way that will be constructive and and deliver results for the business, but also for the employees involved. So that's where employee satisfaction comes in. It's 
it's an outcome-like engagement where we want to understand, well, what is the satisfaction, motivation, and stress level of employees as we're engaging in improvement efforts? And and we can't get results for the business and then be burning people out. Right. So, you know, that's why we have to look at the connection of these things. And it helps to focus on a business goal, make progress there, and then apply what learns to other business priorities and plans. So in 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 a way, you know, just about every company does employee satisfaction surveys. Uh, you know, it's it's the rare bird today that doesn't do some form of that. And so, if I'm hearing you correctly, Tim, if a company is really seeing a lot of dissatisfaction among their employees, the the best place to start looking is to peel back that onion and look at the norms and the behaviors and the cultural artifacts that are going on that may be driving that outcome? Is that what you're suggesting? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, the one thing everybody knows about in organizations is there can tend to be this fear of speaking up, you know, is is one of the most common things we'll, we'll see. And if we don't understand what's really driving that and get people comfortable to say what's on their mind and share what they've learned and experienced, then it's it's really hard to get improvement efforts going. So we, we've got to get a language around some of these norms and expectations. It's not about just defining your values and trying to move in that direction. If we don't understand what's holding us back, maybe this avoidant or very dependent behavior, or or maybe it's perfectionistic or oppositional or internally competitive. It's many different combinations, and we've got to get a language around that and understand why it exists for us to, you know, be able to adjust our improvement plans to be more effective. So, so give me a, a, a great success story that, that you've had with an organization, because my guess is that people call you in when they're really in the dumper. <laughs> Well, I think it's a combination, like I was saying before. Yeah, there's the ones that are, are really struggling and wanting to turn things around quickly. And then there's the ones that are really progressive in this space and want to keep it going. But yes, there's definitely the the turnaround stories. Um, one organization we're working with now is a, a faith-based organization where there was actually some pretty serious bad behavior at the top of the organization and, and we did the culture assessment and we found that, you know, there was some some pretty negative power oriented oppositional behavior going on and, and actually some toxic things came out in the qualitative work and and they were fortunate enough to have a new leader taking over yeah. um, with a new vision for the future. And he said, this is not part of our organization. And they really shifted how they were engaging um, their entire governance structure and their employees to clarify this this new vision, this new movement. And just in one year, we saw in the culture a very substantial shift where at least that toxic aggressive stuff has gone. They still have some passive things to overcome, but we're very pleased of the progress made in just one year. Well, you know, Tim, I, I love this. And I actually did hear that uh, case study, which I thought was very cool. We're at break. Uh, we're talking to Tim Coupler, who is the Director of Culture and Organization Development for Human Synergistics International, a premier cultural uh, transformation company. 
When we come back, Tim, you're talking a little bit about something that I think is really important. This new leader came in and had a different strategy and a different vision for the future and began to realize that culture was such a critical aspect of that. We'll be talking about some of that when we come back. Stay with us. Ever wondered if your career will last? Will your job be around in 10 years, five years, or even tomorrow? The Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett gives you practical tips and tools that are not only fact-based and proven to make you a better leader, but will also ensure that both your organization and career are future-proof. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you future-proof your career. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Hi, welcome back to the Future Proof Workplace radio show with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. And we are talking with our guest this week, Tim Kupler from Human Synergistics about the importance of culture in driving business performance. And Tim, before we went to break, you were talking uh, about one of your success stories, an organization's culture that has been transformed. And one of the catalysts for change was a new leader coming in, new leadership behaviors, a new leadership attitude. Can you talk a little bit more about that scenario and the impact that that had? Well, I think a key with it was understanding the culture and how to tackle um, shifting things. So, you know, what what they did is they used the, the culture assessment. We did some qualitative work with some teams and groups, and, and they defined a very clear from to shift where they wanted to go from a, a culture of fear in some respects to a much more engaging and inclusive um, culture going forward. And they basically use that as a lens to focus on a number of new communication approaches, clarifying their mission, a new number of new goal setting and management development approaches, all, all designed with this lens of how do we implement those approaches with this from to shift in mind. And again, it's not good enough to just focus on the two side of the equation like most do. We've got to understand what currently exists and why. And there was a lot of a lot of fear and concern that was out there that had to be dealt with for people to open up about implementing the new approaches. And so the the readiness for that conversation, was that as a result of that new leader coming in or was that part and parcel of the different levers that that organization chose to pull that, no, we need fresh blood and fresh perspective to affect that change? Well, I think it was definitely the new leader made a, a huge difference, right, because he, uh, he was very committed to this from the start. And I, I think this is the key that the, that top leadership buy-in or that leadership team buy-in we were talking about, they don't have to understand all the how-tos uh, when it comes to managing the journey, but, but they have to commit to a change and that we want something different in this organization and commit to that and be open to learn themselves. Because and that, and that's the problem we've got with this whole field is most senior leaders, you know, they want to understand the whole plan before they implement the first step. Um, with this leader, he was willing to commit to the change and then work together to engage the organization in figuring out that plan together. 
Okay. I mean, again, it's one of those, it's the, that candid conversation up, up front that says, well, when I come to you and say, hey, Tim, you're actually part of the problem. Your behaviours are contributing to this culture for good or not. It's the readiness and willingness to hear that feedback and then to take personal accountability that can be tough. How do you go about doing that because you said earlier the buy-in is important but sometimes that tough feedback of yes you need my buy-in but I'm actually part of the problem can slow things if not derail things you're absolutely right that's where it tends to bog down in the vast majority of cases is you know even some organizations will engage with they'll they'll get focused on that business outcome they'll understand how culture is helping and holding them back and they'll start to implement some improvement plans. But if if the key leaders aren't understanding how they're reinforcing that current culture, um, it's not that, hey, deep in the organization, people are, are reinforcing that. The senior team has to understand how yeah. they're reinforcing it. And if they don't, it's it's it will bog down because they won't understand what they, they have to shift personally. So let's get really pragmatic here. Let's assume I'm listening to this conversation and I'm thinking about my organization. I'm a senior leader, if not at the top of the business. How do I know that I even have a problem, whether it's my behavior or the culture as a whole? How do I know when I need to call you in or start taking a a close look at my organization's culture? Well, I think that's there's two places where where it's quite obvious. It's either from the results of the organization and we've got some challenges and we've seen inconsistent behavior, whatever it might be, or you just know in your gut and you're mm-hmm. frustrated by some things. It's, it's difficult bringing things together. It's harder than it should be. And uh, you just know there's some, something cultural related here. We've got inconsistent behavior. Maybe we've got bad behavior, whatever it might be. And uh, most often it's a combination of those two things where mm-hmm. we've got some performance challenges. And I know in my gut there's some cultural issues, but it can be one. Yes. Uh, we recently had a client reach out to us and it was the glass door reviews that had finally got their attention that things were not as healthy as they could be within terms of the organizational culture. And so that was the catalyst for we know we're stuck in bad norming, um, some bad habits, but we again can't see the wood for the trees. So needing just an outside perspective and another way of talking about those issues in a way that moved them forward constructively versus resulting and finger pointing and blame but that's the hardest thing looking in the mirror and knowing that hey i need i need some help here yeah and you know it's it's interesting uh morag and tim and all three of us know this that it's usually something relatively concrete like all of a sudden you know you've got a lot of customer problems or you've got a lot of quality problems and stuff that you're doing or your output you're missing deadlines i just was talking to a bunch of millennials this this weekend and this company consistently misses deadlines and is overrun with cost you know financial and cost overruns and they start saying okay something's wrong here and they can't get to the bottom of what it's all about so this this leads me to my question of you tim um So what are some of the cultural and performance improvement insights that aren't widely understood? 
because most people look at the satisfaction stuff. Most people look at sort of the people side. But what are some of those improvements that are not widely understood, that are real clues that you've got a big cultural issue? Well, I guess when it comes to insights about culture change or or evolving, shifting culture, I, I think the number one thing that people have to understand is you're not trying to change culture directly, right? You want to understand the the business goal, what that challenge is or, or what that need is for the future and how culture's helping us achieve those goals and how it's holding us back. And it's always both. So, so often I'll go in organizations and I'll see they have culture plans and they're trying to do events and they're trying to do engagement approaches, but it's not connected to the business goal. And that's, I guess, the the number one thing that is so common is, you know, people having these separate plans and not connecting it to the number one priority in the organization. Yeah, I think that's a very important place to start, frankly, is, you know, what is that? What is it that you have to achieve organizationally over the next, you know, pick a number? And then what does the culture need to look like in order to do that? I mean, and, and get leaders and the whole system in the room and to be very specific about that. And that gives them a jumping off point for where you can make some comparisons. So how do you start with the client? Well, often it involves um, to the, the qualitative work. It always starts with qualitative to understand, you know, what's causing this interest in culture. What is the problem? Is there any, you know, outcome issues with the organization, with individuals and walk this through to really understand their their frustrations, but also where their passion lies when it comes to to strengths in the culture and things they love about the organization. And then I always end it with one question and it's always, well, why is this important to you personally? Right. I understand the, the business reasons, the the logical side of, of addressing this, but why is it important to you personally? And it's from that one question that you often get the answer of, is this really going to have legs with mm-hmm. that top leader? Yeah, I think that that is it, it. It grabs them where they live. And I think that's really the most important point. So back to just to give you an example of the best answer I've ever had to that question was back in that faith based organization where the the top leader said, well, you know, I grew up in a family where we were expected to change the world. And uh, he, he talked about how he really wanted to make a difference. And, and I was able to connect to that specific point about, well, how you made that happen in your family and what, what you felt that was expected of you is what we need to feel of expected of everyone in the organization. So they've got that feeling of, of changing the world, supporting what you need. So it's different with each leader and what really drives them. But if you don't get to the gut level, it, again, it will bog down at some point. And it's one of those tough things because I could be sitting here and it's not about necessarily throwing everything out and starting again. Invariably, you're successful because of your culture and in spite of your culture. But it can feel really overwhelming when I'm sitting here thinking about where where do I how do I get from here to there? So when people say, well, how long is this going to take and can you do it in two hours, Tim? And and can you do it without me because I'm going on vacation or I've got this business meeting next next week? What's your answer to the how long does it take? 
Well, we're actually um, rolling out a new program. We're actually calling it a culture quick start program. Ooh, and it's, uh, <laughs> it's basically to target right at this topic. So it's typically a 90-day period to do the, the assessment and the initial planning work. But the whole thing is, is helping leadership understand that culture builds through shared learning and mutual experience. So we've got to engage the organization in a new way and typically for a pretty short period of time because their tolerance level to try something significantly new is not like a year or two. Often in six or nine months, you know, on this customer experience improvement effort, quality improvement effort, safety effort, whatever it might be, uh, you have to see progress in about six to nine months or people will lose interest. People will think it's another flavor of the month. So I tell people, you know, we've got to stick at this for, you know, a six to nine month period with everything we've got. And if we don't see results in that period, it's over anyway. It, it's not about sticking with it for two years because you're not going to suddenly start getting positive feedback from the organization. So uh, we are at break, but uh, that was a great discussion. And when we come back, uh, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the fact that it needs to move quickly for people because the world is moving so quickly right now. But we're talking to Tim Coupler, who is the Director of Culture and Organizational Development for Human Synergistics, a premier culture assessment and transformation company in, in, in the world, frankly. So stay with us. We're going to get down to some few tactical nitty gritties on, uh, on our next segment. We all know that leaders who build talent, care about their people, and create healthy organizations are the people that others want to work for and with. Raise your own bar and future-proof your organization with the Future-Proof Workplace. Whether you're a CEO, manager, or just trying to survive the chaos, the Future-Proof Workplace is your wake-up call. Because, let's face it, the future is now. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you start future-proofing your organization. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Welcome back. We're talking to Tim Coupler, Director of Culture and Organization Development for Human Synergistics. And, and Tim, I, I, I loved your, you know, more I could just ask this great question, how long does it take? And, you know, we, we, we spend a, a good chunk of our book around one of the factors, future-proof factors of, of, of culture, and that it's really the cornerstone of the 21st century uh, businesses. And, you know, I would tell you that, uh, and, and I'd love your reaction to this. I, I, I think it is like leadership. It is one of those things that you constantly have to have your finger on the pulse of. So you can't, it's not even a matter of, okay, for nine months, nine months, you're going to, you, you need to see some results and you need to see some impact. You need to see some things changing, but it's also something that you have to build into your organizational DNA and fabric so that you stay on track and that you, you adjust with it or you make adjustments as it shifts one way or another. I, I'd love your reaction to that. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct. What I was referring to was the, the launch of a improvement effort or change effort where the mindset has to be around a sense of urgency yeah. um, because that's the expectation that's out there in the organization. But more broadly, you, you can't ever let your foot off the gas, so to speak. 
And it's like human capital, you know, culture capital. We were actually just talking about this last week with uh, Rob Cook. And it's really at the foundation of driving the results of the organization along with people, right? That your, your culture is going to drive things in a far more sustainable way than even the, the new people that might be coming in and the talent you're trying to attract. So we've got to understand where that culture is. And, and unfortunately, very few organizations take this uh, approach of always understanding where their culture is at. And uh, very few boards understand where the culture of their organization is at. Very few leadership teams do. And, and when they think they do, often it's back to its work climate and it's not the underlying culture. Yeah, yeah. Very, very important factor. Morag, I, I know you have something you want to jump in here for. Yeah, I was, I was linking back really to the earlier question, Tim, about how long does this take? Again, as a leader, as I'm listening to this, and I recognize that my uh, culture needs a little bit of shaping. In your experience, can leaders self-medicate and affect cultural change? <laughs> and to what extent does ha having an outside perspective really help things move along more quickly or differently? So... Well, I mean, it goes back to, you know, the age old sayings about culture being like the water we swim in or the air we breathe. So without a little bit of outside influence and at least facilitation, it can be quite a challenge mm -hmm. to go at this with the energy needed to, to really make change. Um, but you don't always have to have like outside leaders come in. You just need some outside insights maybe a little extra facilitation to help with the process. Yeah. Well, I do think, you know, I, I, I did my dissertation on organizational culture and I happened to use Rob's survey, but I, I do think that culture of leaders often create the culture that exists in an organization and they're comfortable with it. Maybe they don't like it, but it's what they know and what they experience. And having somebody who is very skilled in helping un peel back the onions so that they can really see what's going on and examine what they like or don't like about it and what's getting in the way of their success or their future success of the organization is very important. I, I love that question of self-medication, Maureen. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know if they can self-medicate, honestly. Well, I know a lot of people will try because they think it's going to be quicker, easier and cheaper to do it that way. But ultimately, I can end up making a little bit more mess that needs to be cleared up later. And I like the fact that having that perspective, just you may be starting at the wrong end of the challenge. Right. There may be some quick wins that can be done and, and simple changes that can affect more. A, a disproportionate positive impact on the culture. Yeah. So I just enjoy the conversation because there are just so many ways you can tackle it. Yeah. And I think maybe that's why you're at this quick start thing, um, Tim, is that people do need to see quick, uh, some, some, some low hanging fruit achieved. They need to see some results so they can start feeling, you know, yes, this is possible, you know, is, is what your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. And uh, the reason we're zeroing in on that start of the process is because at least if you start with a, a good qualitative, quantitative approach and get that language of culture and how it's playing out in, or in your organization, oftentimes leaders start to understand the, the impact of their behavior better and how 
hey, some of their top-down command and control approaches might be driving a very passive response at yeah. the you know the face of the customer, which is exactly the opposite of they want of what they want. So that's thoughtful approach up front is what's needed. And, and we've actually applied this on about 20 organizations before launching this as kind of an approach we're advocating. So we have plenty of stories and examples about how if you get a good start on this, then you're dramatically increasing your likelihood of success. Yeah, I love it. So, so I have a question. We've talked a lot about what culture is and the need to diagnose it and that leaders both inform and create the culture. You get the culture you deserve, not necessarily the culture that you want. Right. So as you're looking at the analysis from the OCI and the work that you're doing, what are some of the common themes that you're seeing emerging that define the culture of the 21st century workforce versus the 20th century? What are some of the, I don't know, the, the leading edge, new, not necessarily new, but what are the, those elements of culture that are seen as important for the, the new century? Well, I, I think a lot of it goes back to inclusion. Yeah. And, uh, you know, leaders were not taught in school how to connect you know, hundreds of people or thousands of people to an improvement effort. So they truly feel connected to it and that their opinions matter. What they learned was how to scale things, maybe through goals and priorities and, and things like that. So I think inclusion is the key thing and a key theme there. But what couples that and what is very uncomfortable for leaders is not knowing everything and to be more of facilitators and orchestrators versus being the, you know, the smartest person in the room where they've got to be a facilitator of bringing groups together and solving problems together. And leaders, once that's facilitated a few times and they see what comes out of it, I mean, it's like there's no going back to those top-down leadership team trying to define everything. It just makes no sense. So I, I think those are probably the, the two key things for the, the future of work and future of organizations is these extremely inclusive approaches, but then top leadership being more, more orchestrators and visionaries versus having to you know figure out all the details themselves. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because We've known that for how long? I mean, you, you, you can read books about leadership that have been saying that you've got to be inclusive. It's all about the people. You know, you've got to create the, the environment for them. But we still go back to that default command and control. And somehow the brain is wired in a certain way that says, you know, if I don't know the answer, I'm, I'm weak. And it's, it's just so hard for people to get over that, to move from that technical aspect into that more... Uh, elusive um, support steward kind of perspective. It's fascinating. Well, and I think that's going to change because, yeah. you know, that's driven by culture also. I mean, it's yeah. it's deeply embedded in our educational system where there's always a right and wrong answer. And it's deeply embedded in the culture of management, especially in the U.S., about, you know, this uh, individualistic approaches, individual rewards and all those types of things. So, but I see our culture, you know, evolving more broadly. People talk about millennials being purpose-driven, about inclusion being talked to more, about more, and that's absolutely true. 
So there is a little bit of a tailwind now that I don't think existed with the same strength as the past. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's interesting, Tim, when I have worked with leaders in Morag, I'm sure you have examples of this, too, and where I've worked with leaders who shifted and were able to make that shift from command and control to more inclusive. They felt so much better about themselves and their job. They actually uh, saw people come around to what they were trying to do without having to convince them because they allowed them to talk about it. It was, it, it was really transformational. I, Morag, I'm, I'm sure you have examples of that, too. Well, I do. Again, it's it's that whole, you get better warnings of impending disaster, but you also get better creativity and innovation. And you get it from unusual voices that in the 20th century command and control hierarchy, maybe they did speak up, but they certainly weren't heard. And so when I hear the word inclusive, it's not just around the style of leadership, it's the embracing the viewpoints and the differing viewpoints at all levels and from all directions within the company and elsewhere. It's exciting. And like you have seen it transform teams and companies when the leader has the courage to let go of what has been drummed into them, literally through high school and university and the school of hard knocks, which is, I'm going to keep my finger on this button because if I don't, things go wrong. Well, Well, actually, sometimes you need to step back and see what happens. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of it is is power driven and and it's been around for way more than the last hundred years. It's been around for centuries and centuries and centuries. So Tim, let me ask you, what, what three uh, messages would you, do you want to leave our audience with? Well, I think number one is understand what culture and climate are and use some of these qualitative, quantitative approaches to get a common language and measurement around this subject, right? People talk about it different ways, and let's get on the same page. Probably number two would be going back to these, you know, culture fundamentals is, you know, focus on a, on a problem, a goal, a challenge, an outcome, and how culture is helping us achieve that, how it's holding us back, and drive that shared learning as a team. Don't try and work on culture uh, directly. And then third is all about taking action and you don't have to be a top leader. It's taking action in groups, wherever Mm -hmm. you're at in the organization, because you've got priorities, you've got team styles and group styles, not just the overall culture of the organization. So this knowledge and learnings about culture and evolving shaping culture can be applied at the team level. And if you're able to do that there, and it works, which it will be more effective than not understanding these things, you'll be able to expand your approach and keep that learning going. But the key is to to take action and to connect it to your top priority. Yeah, very, very, very important. So, so, Tim, thank you for those three insights. I think that's useful in pulling together our, our conversations. And so if, if we've got a leader listening and they've decided, okay, I need a professional, I need Tim and his team, how do they get in touch with you and learn more? Sure. Well, go to humansynergistics.com and uh, you can just do a, a contact us uh, form there and I'll, I'll see it uh, within minutes probably. <laughs> 
Um, that's probably the best approach. And, and you can also highlight if you want to get signed up for our uh, constructiveculture.com blog, or you can go to cultureuniversity.com and sign up for that blog. Also, if you just want to be connected to these insights and learn more and you're, you're not ready to take that first step yet. So there are some online resources so I can do some early diagnostics, but just start the conversation and then you can make an informed decision as to whether or not the day is right for you to start affecting change for the culture in your organization or your team. I appreciate it. Well, Tim, it has been a pleasure talking with you today. Um, thank you for sharing your insights on organizational culture and transformation. We've really enjoyed learning from you today. Yeah, thank you both. I enjoyed it also. It, it was great, Tim. And, and you know, you highlighted something that, Morag, we're going to be having on uh, our shows coming up. Uh, some business school uh, presidents and deans. And this came up when we were in London, this whole notion of we're not training our leaders through our B-schools to really focus on the qualitative, the human and the people side and the cultural side of organizational performance. And, and I think they're finally getting that message. So it's going to be fun. You helped us start this conversation, Tim. <laughs> Sounds great. And uh, there's definitely a, a long runway on the educational front to make a difference here. Thank you. Well, you've been listening to The Future Proof Workplace with Dr. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. If you'd like to learn more about The Future Proof Workplace, please do get your hands on a copy of our book, The Future Proof Workplace, available through all book retailers. Thank you for joining us. Make sure you join us next week for another engaging conversation that explores the changing nature and attitude to work so that we can ensure that the future of your organization and your career is prepared. Remember, the future of work is not tomorrow. The future of work is today. Are you ready? Amen. This has been the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. To learn about the hosts or to get more resources on future-proofing your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Thanks for listening.